Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dave E. Dave. Next week, yes, next week, we are going to have a very special episode where we talk about the original series episode... Uh, The Menagerie. And aren't we going to have a couple of guests? Two of our favorite comic book superstars. Dave Baker. And Nicole Goo. Nicole Goo and Dave Baker together in one podcast? With us? Uh, All four of us together doing a whole Star Trek thing. So please keep an eye out for that. Please! It'll be... (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) It'll be streaming from TNGs.com and all the other delightful places to get podcasts. Right, that's TNGEEZ.com. And the other places. Did I ever tell you how much I love you? Is your heart pounding to the beat of romance? It's episode 23 of STTNGs. We'll always have Paris. Because Casablanca is a fantastic, obviously it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Right. It's just like when Bogey met Bacall, or Bergman, or whoever. And it's a grand romance, and this is the most tepid flat romance. Not into romance? Well, there's plenty of this. Getting frisky with you. (laughs) And a little bit of that. (laughs) Bitty, bitty, bitty. Remember Paris. So get ready to fall in love again right about... Now. I am very anxiously ready to start counting down. How's that? Five. All the leaves are brown. Four. Three. And the sky. Two. It's gray. One. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. It just keeps going on and on. California dreaming number one. Wow, Dave, you are really in a, in a good mood tonight. You're sounding a little uh, energetic. Yes, 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 yes. I've got that. I've got that um, That cool California vibe. It's like everything's popping here, man. It's like there's no virus. There's no thing. There's no nothing. We're just, we're just doing it. Well, I just find it a little surprising since, you know, Yar died last episode. <laughs> oh, wait, what? No. She died last episode, Dave. Oh my god, it's felt ah, oh, jeez. Pow, you really uh, you it's like a gut punch. But you don't remember that she died? Well, I do remember it happened back in 1988, so it kind of um... <laughs> Well, I wouldn't worry about forgetting because apparently the crew has forgotten too. Guys, it was just last episode and there's nary a mention of it. And oh, by the way, the other thing we've forgotten? Mm. I'm Ambassador Andrew, and this is my inappropriately happy little friend. Commander Dave E. Dave. The insensitive partner. Uh, you're not the first person to call me insensitive, but let me let me just clarify something very important, even more than, yes. than, than uh, the demise of Yar. Did you just say Nary? I did say Nary. Nary, number one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I I say Nary. Nary, that's good. You know, my mom's an English teacher, and I miss Nary. I have a lot of words that I've been made fun of for speaking proper English all these years, but we miss Nary. Yes, Nary nary a uh, problem there, Dave. (laughs) And we are talking, by the way, at STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast, about the 23rd episode, We'll Always Have Paris. Are you saying the 23rd episode of this ridiculous season no it's the 24th episode of the season it's the 23rd episode of of our show oh god here we are 23 we're still fucking that up yes 23rd episode of season one folks we're in season one still of uh, star trek the next generation the good news is we only have two more episodes to get this wrong and then after that we'll be in season two and we'll actually be synced up can you tell us why we get so screwed up each time in case not everybody's been on board? For, this? for those of you who are just joining, for those of you who like to mm. jump on in episode 23, because you figure that's a good time that the, the rhythm right. will be established and everything. Yeah, this is when they've this is when they've worked it all out in episode 23. Well, you're wrong because we still haven't right. worked it out. And the uh, point being that uh, the first episode, the first story mm. is encounter at far point, but it's two episodes. And so. We're calling it one episode. We're one episode behind. It's just, you know what? It's like a hiccup in time. It's a hiccup in time is what it is. Ah, so specific to this episode. You know what's great is that what you just explained 
uh, makes no sense. Excellent. Neither does this episode. Actually, this episode makes total sense as long <laughs> as you realize it was written in five days during a writer's strike back in 88. Is that true, though? The writer's strike? I thought the writer's strike was the next year. I, you know, how the hell do I know? I just, I'm just telling you it's on Wikipedia, for God's I sake. I don't know. What, what do you think I'm doing, like, really deep? Oh, God damn it. I have to cut that out. I think it'd have something, I think it'd have something interesting to say you, about you, that. You think just because I say nary that I do all kinds of deep research on this kind of crap? Give me a break. Do you, do you know what this is? No. What is this? It's a podcast that's not afraid to enjoy its refreshment. Oh. Everybody, just so everybody knows, because... Some people uh, are worried that we're having like a drunk podcast. This is a Perrier, <laughs> Perrier light pink grapefruit. So all you teetotaling Trek fans out there, mm. relax. What we should do as the season ender is be we should be popping like uh, um, old English at the end. Oh, of there it. you go. That's that's a good time. What kind of what kind of uh, mm-hmm. beverage do you think uh, Picard when Picard goes down to the pub? Well, I guess he doesn't go to the pub. He goes to the cafe. Never mind. I keep forgetting yeah, he's French. It's a flipping cappuccino. Do you want to? Do you want to tell us what supposedly happens in this episode, <laughs> uh, Commander? Dave? Oh my God! This episode. You know what? I have mixed feelings about this episode. Okay, we're deep into the series by now. Yes, we are. And and you're right to say that there's a hiccup because we've got a, our our first time hiccup. I think I don't think we've had that so far. No. There's a distress call from a doctor, Mannheim. Yes. And we find out that he's exploring time just time and timing it up they get a distress call from Mannheim, and as the enterprise gets closer they experience a kind of uh they call it a hiccup but it's like a repeat in time so a couple seconds repeat for the crew and as they get closer we realize that that Mannheim is hiding a secret possibly and it has something to do with picard and picard's past picard is very very reticent to get to uh, the the Mannheim experience. When he gets there, we find Janice Mannheim. Janice. We find Janice. Janice. Yes. Paging Dr. Mannheim. <laughs> Paging Dr. Mannheim. Your wife Janice is looking for you. Yeah, it's another <laughs> Roddenberry uh, friend, I think. It's got to be. Janice Mannheim, and she ends up being Picard's former flame. That he stood up back in Paris way back 20 years yes. ago. They're going to meet up in this awkward reunion all the while trying to save her husband, the genius Mannheim's life. Yeah. And and, uh, and 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 trying to repair time itself, I think. Yeah. So Mannheim is all scrambled because he was in the middle of this. He's had some sort of experiment that worked and allowed him to pierce the veil to the other dimensions or something like that or skip over right. to another timeline and somehow frack you know there's all this techno babble crap that comes out of them that explain it just like every other time travel episode when it's really just like yeah wouldn't it be cool type uh you know what if writing which is fun and it usually leads to really right. exciting episodes and actually this has, <laughs> has a fine legacy of episodes that follow it this, however, right. is is tepid as best, and and I guess I'm inclined to say you you said tepid tepid, and I'm inclined to say it's sure it's because they only wrote it in five days. It's not the best of circumstances. It is what our British friends would like to call a dog's breakfast. There's all these little bits and pieces in it that that kind of go nowhere really, <laughs> except to a dog's yeah a dog's uh, stomach but this is yeah, that's good this is a lot like a lot of the episodes though and i think it's funny because in some ways in this episode i saw little glimmers of what the show becomes when it really is firing later on and i guess it mainly is the time travel part of it this is time travel stuff that makes no sense but it's fun to think about right and we've got characters seeing themselves in the future or five seconds behind and kind of playing against that and what to do about that and wow that's that's pretty messed up and that's kind of it's really cool to see it in the episode but we also talked about this in some of the earlier episodes that they just throw a ton of ideas out there that that don't connect and whether they they sure. were thinking to themselves ah we got ideas galore we could just throw them out there whether it was just a scramble it's like let's throw some good ideas in there that's got to make the episode work or whatever it is there's a lot of stuff that's left on the table here which is unfortunate later episodes yeah. will pick up a lot of this time stuff thankfully it is a shame that here they they have a lot of good threads so one of the threads I do want to start off with is is poor Yar. What the heck? Yeah, look, Tasha just died last episode, everybody. And and what's funny about our podcast here is that if if you listen to a few of them, we've we've been talking about the 
your death from episode one because it's such a big deal. And now it's finally happened and we're 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 grieving, Andrew and I. And yeah. and we're thinking about like this post Yar world and apparently nobody on the Enterprise has given it a second thought. And and you know, my Yar shrine is up. I every day I, I talk to her for a little bit. You know, I'm really trying to work through my my stages and I think I'm working them and I think that's what's the important part. I, I'm really trying to come to terms. Uh I, I'm working on forgiving Armus. Yeah, it's been hard. It's yeah. been hard. But everyone on this crew, they're they're just like heading for shore leave. Yeah. They're you know, Picard's fencing up a storm. Ar- sorry, Armus is the entity that killed R in the last episode. Jeez. You- <laughs> <laughs> it apparently killed your ability to speak as well. I don't know why, but for some reason Armus and Yar are Armus hard. killed it's Yar. It's a hard sentence. Yarmus. Yes, yeah, so Armus was this black pool of goo who killed Yar in the first five minutes of the episode last time. But what if they had become Yarmus and for the rest of the series, Denise Crosby had to be covered in Metamucil and printer's ink (laughs) and just be playing Yarmus? Ooh, Worf. Can you imagine, like, he sounded a lot like Worf anyways. It would be funny if they were, like, having to work together on the bridge all the time. (laughs) And someone, there's some poor ensign whose job it is to clean up after Yarmus. Stop touching everything! Armus, you're getting your black goo all over the controls. This big roll of paper towels and wet swiffers. Wet swiffering behind Yarmus as, as it... A Klingon is uh, not meant to clean up after an unnamed entity. Here's, again, talk about lost opportunities. It's a great opportunity. When Picard's fencing, right, and he's working out some frustrations, mm-hmm. I initially foolishly thought, because I remember this episode little if none. Me too. But when I saw him fencing, I thought, oh, he's blowing off some steam. He's blowing right. off some frustration because he just lost a crewman. So this is giving him an opportunity. Right. Again, a little character detail for Picard. But also, it makes sense. It made a nice bridge. But nope, they're just heading for shore leave. And this is this thing that we keep talking about, about this show that was made in 1988, as opposed to our modern shows, where you're really getting into this in-depth kind of character development and plot development, which does not exist on a show like this at this time, or very few shows. If Yara died in a modern show, like the modern Picard, the whole series, the whole season would have been about Yara's death and grieving and it's such an obvious thing to exploit. And so it's like, okay, let's make some gold out of this. The actor left. Let's really push the drama. Let's say like, oh my God, she's gone. And how does that affect the crew? And why does that have to be resolved in, in 10 minutes of the last episode where she's having her funeral scene and saying goodbye to everybody? Couldn't this be something you carry on through the end of the season? Couldn't this have been the thing that ends the whole you know, first season? Wouldn't that have been excellent? And but they just were not thinking about it like that at the time. And it has to do with production. It has to do with the way that they used to make TV. They're just not thinking about it like we think about stuff now. Well, and it was really considered part of, of another kind of television, like a soap opera. And this is around the time. And I don't know if you remember, it's a Stephen J. Cannell show called Wise Guy. That, oh, yeah. That Wise Guy was on. And it's the one that really started to, to build the season around this idea of story arcs. Mm. Other shows that had had through lines and so on, you know, the, like the thing was written out to be, you know, like a story arc. What an idea. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 now obviously that's the way most uh, uh, highfalutin TV is. There's still a lot of episodic TV, but they do have um, through lines and, and different callbacks and stuff. But here, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity and I guess it's just more tantalizing and it's I feel kind of bad complaining about the fact that that this show doesn't do what we want it to do at a time when things <laughs> weren't like that anyway but at the same time it's still frustrating i know and that's why i'm pointing it out it's not like they weren't smart enough to think better it's just in, in case people don't understand we actually really love this show but we're looking <laughs> at it from way out and so there were shows like you're saying wise guy and and the shows that i've mentioned before the botchko shows that had already aired and British TV, and but almost, you know, like 90% of the shows on American TV were doing exactly this. I remember at the time, I still thought this was one of the best shows on television at the time. 
it still was doing different things that you'd never seen before with the sci-fi and the effects and and the characters as it moves on. We just never saw anything quite like this. You know, we're picking it apart now because it's interesting to do sure, it. Sure, sure. A couple of years later, the X-Files comes along, right? And, and totally upends TV. I mean, that show took television and turned it all upside down and said, we're going to make a show that's like a movie. Every episode's going to feel and look like a movie. Right. That was not that long after the show. It, it could have been done, and it, and it will be done soon. It feels like these shows are separated by decades because right. the atmosphere and the sort of cinematic approach to X-Files that you don't see in this show. So maybe that's it. You know, and, and, and we're also just cranky middle-aged guys. I mean, everyone should understand our prostates are inflamed. Oh. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of issues. Is that what's happening to me? Oh my yeah, god. That's what that is. Yeah, you've gone from a boy to a man to an old man. All 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 while we've been recording this one season. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, just all while you record this one episode. It's like it's like I'm the three datas showing up all at once in the in their time loop where they're looking at each other and they're going, Which one's the real Dave? Uh uh the, <laughs> the, the one that doesn't have to get the prostate exam. <laughs> I'll take that one. Smaller fingers, please, number one. So at the center of this, speaking yes. of, of story ideas and story tropes, I mean, one of the things that is sort of disappointing about this particular episode is it does the same thing as The Big Goodbye does. So The Big Goodbye sort of built on the our, our rift off the Maltese Falcon, and it feels like this episode is going to riff off of Casablanca, especially from the title. But just tangentially, I mean, it, it, it barely right. scratches the surface, and it seems like another great idea sure that just doesn't get developed and it hurts the show because casablanca is a fantastic obviously it's one of the greatest movies ever made in many people's opinion and it's a grand romance and this is the most tepid flat romance this makes <laughs> jameson admiral jameson and annie with the golden hair look like love story annie annie let me brush your hair while i'm climbing all over your back getting frisky <laughs> with you let me get out of my chair and jump you. Too short to see. It's funny we keep coming back to that because it's one of the worst. It is one of the worst, but it is the one that really is sticking with me for some reason. That oh, one it's in, in it's in my bottom my bottom five. That one in hide hide and queue. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 starting our short lists of best and worst for season one. You know, it's funny because. Well, Casablanca, for anybody that hasn't seen this movie, and it's been around for a very long time, it is actually an excellent movie, and it still holds up. And and, I, and let me go off a little bit on Casablanca, okay? Because I think it does have some comparisons to Next Generation, because they used to make movies in the old studio system on the fly. They had a contract, they made a movie, they brought everybody in, they had the actors, they were hired, they had to do their job, they had the writers, the producers, they all came in, and sometimes they didn't have the movie finished. And so Casablanca is famous for not even having a working script when they started the movie. This is one of the most famous films of all time, and it has some excellent scenes, and it has some really memorable lines like, we'll always have Paris. We'll always have Paris, yes. And this is a movie that was just kind of vamping because they had all these excellent people who were you know behind the scenes putting this thing together and and it just happened to happen and it wasn't like that didn't also happen and then they made bad movies too but this is where it actually happened it's a lot like what what happened with television as it kind of morphed into production tv where you had shows like this that were just they had to do them they had to get them out they had to make the schedule they did it and sometimes sometimes it worked better and then sometimes you had your we you know we always have paris true that that's true enough i mean there's a real production feel and you and i i know we we both kind of like looking at these issues of how popular media is produced i like to read up a lot about comics sure and, you know, in the 70s, everyone talks about like in, uh, how, how comics is just such a is exactly this. Right. It's just a production line. And every now and again in the past, you would chance into something amazing. Right. Most of the time, it was just really hardworking middle aged guys <laughs> trying to grind out some material. And occasionally they would they would find some magic to it. Right. There's one like Kirby and Lee run of Fantastic Four compared to countless other 
comics that never went anywhere. Yeah. Right. Like how many empty issues of Superman with, you know, him playing tricks on Lois Lane when, when she's trying to get him to marry. It's just ridiculous how much crap got, got put poured out there. You know, every now and again, you got a gem. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good comparison. And especially since comics is even more maligned than, than science fiction television. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, especially, especially like the kind of superhero comics that both you and I love, because we have a whole movement now of, of graphic novels and stuff and comics are literature. And, and it's true. There's some really great graphic novel comics out there, but there's also some really terrific stuff that's been done in the superhero world. Going back to this idea of Casablanca, the center of Casablanca and kind of the center of this episode, you got an A plot and a Mm. B plot, and I don't really know which is which because they don't really emphasize one or the other. Part of this episode is this this romance, this quadrangle romance that doesn't really happen at all. Well, because it's, it's, and I feel bad for Beverly. Picard had a past relationship with Janice is married to Paul Mannheim. <laughs> Paul Mannheim. Uh, Crusher. <laughs> that name is so ridiculous. It just name. kills me. It's like Paul Mannheim steamroller. Yeah, it's like it's like, come on, like the like pick a name. Like either everybody in the future either has an excellent name or they just have regular names. Like it can't just be both. You can't have a you can't have a commander <laughs> Riker, right? And then and then a Mannheim. It's like, come on. And then a Wyatt Miller. Uh, Dr. Miller. Wyatt Miller from Haven. And then uh, and then Jameson and, and what was Jameson's wife's name? Annie. Annie with the golden hair. Annie. She's like, come on, guys. You know, you either have future names or you have you have just regular person names. It's not the Mannheims of the world. Well, well, his name is not Quad Rob Mannheim. I mean, his name is is Paul. So Paul and Janice. And then, of course, Bev. Beverly. You know, Bev has her, her tension with, with Picard and basically spends the whole episode just feeling really awkward and giving Picard these <laughs> kind of like, I don't really know what's going on, but I know I don't feel right looks. Beverly, I don't appreciate your stink eye. And it's a little more development for Picard. So here we go. We still know very little about this guy's right. past. And we're getting to know more. So there he is fencing. And now, you know, here he is. He's got this romance. He's a bit of a cad and a bounder because he has this old flame who he just sort of, uh, you know, ghosted right. in Paris before he climbed aboard a starship and busted his ass out of right. the quadrant. So, so wait, can we set up that part a little bit? Picard's having some kind of reaction to this idea of Mannheim, that there's a distress signal being sent out by him. So we don't exactly know what bothers Picard about it. Picard kind of does a little bit of work with Troy. Yeah, right, right there on the bridge. It's so awkward. And Troy's like, it's like, maybe maybe you'd like to talk privately. And he's like, no, no. Wh- whatever you have to say, say to me here and let me shut you down in front of the entire bridge crew. Yes. Let me expose my private feelings so I don't share with anybody here in front of everybody, but then not really do it. She says something that, you know, reveals this past relationship. And she suggests that Picard needs to go kind of do some self-work, do a couple hours of self-work before they hook up or meet up with the Mannheim experience. You know, Picard completely dismisses her and treats her. Well, he does go into the holodeck, into that really crappy looking. Yeah, in in the scene, he dismisses her. And I was trying to set up the holodeck part. So then he goes into the holodeck to work out this past experience, which is. Or the past experience is that, you know, he told Janice, you know, meet me at Cafe Darts. Darts. In Paris, Café d'Artistes. The Artistes. In Paris, and then I don't know what's going to happen. I assume that they'll become, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Johnny Picard or something. You know, they run away together and, and <laughs> right. join the circus. It's not really clear, but it was supposed to be some sort of romantic liaison, and he stiffs her. And he says, like, I, I don't know if you remember this, but he goes, um, um, uh, Holodeck 3, please, uh, right away. And apparently, and this is to our point that we've made a number of times about how the heck the holodeck works apparently you can just speak into it and and make it do crap like it's supposed to i guess have a memory of every earth day yes 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 yes. he's like 20 years ago paris make sure the flipping (laughs) eiffel towers in the background that's how it looked even says like cafe d'artiste like the holodeck's like oh yeah i went there what the 
you know, it, the holodex like like Majel's weird. like hold on let me access google maps from 2023 or whatever i hope there's a street view because i have no idea what you're talking about well so so we got all that information that apparently you can say all that to the holodeck which is cool that works in the world but then he goes a warm spring day and then the holodeck's like oh what the fuck it says here <laughs> it says here that that was a cold blustery day picard it's a warm spring day all right whatever you want buddy and we'll get to this cafe darts later on because i are dartistes because i i hate the place there's really no love triangle here there's absolutely no tension because Mannheim is out of it and michelle phillips who is a very interesting choice for a guest star here right they totally waste her sure but she is so flat. There is no chemistry between the two of them. She has like this epoxied hair, like Ann Jameson, going back to her again. <laughs> right. I mean, it's amazing that you have, I mean, Michelle Phillips, she's out of place in this thing. They do her no favors, this character and her as an actress. You know who Michelle Phillips is, right? All the leaves are, all the leaves are brown. The mamas and, and the, the papas, everyone. And the sky is gray. She's one of the mamas. She's one of two mamas. So, like, one of the most famous bands of the late '60s. She, you know, moved into acting eventually, and I think her her acting career was more illustrious than her singing career. Well, and and her past is her personal story is is torrid, right? I mean, there's all these typical '60s rock band things yeah. going on. They were at uh, Woodstock. She's having an affairs left and right, and her husband at the time john phillips is my one of my favorite thing is he was so angry at her that they kicked her out of the band and not only did they kick her out of the band he had all new photos taken for the albums <laughs> and had them reissued with the her, her replacement oh, really? on them and even re-recorded the oh. song yes and re-recorded a lot of the songs replacing her vocals with this new woman he was just oh, i furious. didn't you know i don't know that much about the mamas and papas to be honest no i just remember that part of the story and it just always made me <laughs> It, it's not just I'm going to give her back her, you know, her stuffed animals and her right. black T-shirt or anything. I'm just going to wipe her out of existence. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went on to he went on to do so much afterwards. It's great. Hey, go on, baby. Go do your Falcon Crest. See if you can do it without me. <laughs> Was she hey, on Falcon you... Crest or oh, not sorry, landing? Sorry. Go. <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting my. Either way. it's, it's Oh, my God. I can't believe you're calling me out. Early 90s generic I can't believe we're getting our Falcon Crests and our uh, Knott's Landings mixed up. Listen, one had Lorenzo Lamas, one didn't. Right, right, right. That's where you draw the line. But here's, so this is my feeling about what a weak, uh, or what a a lost opportunity is. is. So she's from the Mamas and the Papas, man. Freak her out. (laughs) Instead of having her be just like a a robot, right? It would be better if Picard was in love with Tweaky. At least that would have been entertaining. Or if she was a robot. Or just do something weird here, man. Biddy, biddy, biddy. Remember Paris, Picard. Biddy, biddy. You, you stood me up, you bastard. Bigga, bigga, bigga. You owe me five francs. Bigga, bigga, bigga. You know what I keep doing? I don't know why I say biddy, biddy, biddy. What? It's bigga, bigga. Because I think that's actually what it's supposed to be. I just no, say bigga, bigga, bigga. Because right. there's something bigger, wrong bigger, with me. Bigga, bigga, bigga. You stood me up. I don't know why. John Luke. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. Okay, so one of the yeah. things that gets me about this is is Mannheim is freaking out because he's sort of fractured in time, right? He's looked into another timeline or another dimension. We don't know. He starts talking about like, whoa, everything's so crazy there. So why not have her be like equally yeah. tripped out or something? You know, why not play on the fact that she's one of the, the mamas and the papas yeah. and just have her be like all, whoa. <laughs> That's a good point. But instead, she's like some late 80s Stepford wife. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe that Picard has such grand feelings for her. And it's like, why would you? It's weird. There's no chemistry between them. And of course, and the, and the fact is she's attractive. So you see, like, you just look at her and go like, okay, I can understand why Picard was attracted to her. But there's no character to her either. And it's disappointing. And, and again, I won't blame the actor because I don't think it's her thing. But I'm telling you, for the first 15 minutes of this episode, I wasn't sure if she was Dr. Mannheim or if she was married to a Dr. Mannheim. And as soon as we find out that the Mannheim that they're looking for is actually this dude, right? Yeah. Then I'm like, of course, it's 1988. Of course, she's not going to be the genius physicist that's trying to explore time. She's the wife of this guy. And it's so disappointing. And, and here she is. like, She totally doesn't have any power in the situation. And she's been stood up by Picard. She's been married 
by this right. guy that is out of his mind through the episode and and as we discover as the episode progresses is completely doesn't give her any attention and has moved her off into some rock in the middle of outer space and he's kind of a maniac and she still kind of sticks with him and she just, she just doesn't have any she doesn't have any agency and it's a bummer which is really interesting because we've had another Dr. Mandel back in home soil right and he was also a controlling guy and he wasn't really that interested in sure. other people but his counterpoint was a remarkable woman, right. Louisa Kim, right? That played by an amazing actress, Elizabeth Lindsay, who is also an amazing individual. In real life. And here you have another interesting right. individual. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, in real life. I'm sorry. Good in real comparison. Life. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Michelle Phillips. Yes. And she has the potential to be really interesting, and she could right. have been the doctor. You know, Louisa Kim was one of the terraformers. She there there are possibilities here. That's they what just I'm saying, it. and it's so disappointing. Like, why? And then when you meet her husband, Manheim, I mean, he's just not. I, I don't know who the actor is. I, oh, I, I know I, exactly I, who he is. And I've, <laughs> I've been saving this. This is my my treat for you. Oh, 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 really? Yes. So Manheim, who is a complete cipher, right? He's not a, a rival no. to Picard at all because we know nothing about him except that he's brilliant and selfish. But this wait—he's the one that he's the one that wins Janice after Picard stands her up. So Picard knows over all these years that Mannheim is now with Janice. This guy's name is Rod Loomis, and I'm sure again a lovely man. We're not criticizing him, but his other big ticket role is Sigmund Freud in Bill oh. and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> I knew he was familiar. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I see that now. That's great. <laughs> yes. I know that guy. That's there you great. go. So they got they got <laughs> Sigmund. I know that guy. I've met many times. They got Sigmund Freud here laying on the. <laughs> That's good. But you know, they originally. I read that they originally wanted Picard to cheat with Janice, but Patrick Stewart said, "No, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. It's so out of character." Well, but there's no fire to this at all. It it it's just tepid. It's yeah. unresolved. It leads to nothing. And good for Patrick Stewart. And I know you know the show is what it is, and it has all these writers and producers doing it. And of course, you have this Patrick Stewart, but he really is making these decisions. He understands that character and he's driving that character and he really knows what that character would and wouldn't do. And and he really kind of crafts that character into what maybe they didn't want it this way in the beginning, but he crafts that thing into something, you know, really great. It's true that the the triangle or the quadrangle, the quadrangle doesn't make sense once you strip out the part where he's not going to cheat on uh, Mannheim. Yeah. So Dr. Mannheim and Janelle come up to the <laughs> to the ship, right? Janice. Come up to the ship. Janice, Janice come up to the ship. What's funny about this podcast is like we're 23 episodes into it, and I'm learning a lot about uh, my dyslexia is what's happening. <laughs> we're learning a lot about Dave. That The podcast is secretly about Dave. I don't know if anyone's yeah, it's, noticed it's this. It's finally we're doing the work that uh, we need to do, Dave. So they get up to the ship, and Mannheim is like, something's happened. There's an accident that's gone astray, and he's kind of in one dimension. He's in another dimension. He's out of his mind. But at the same time, Picard is having this, this relationship with Michelle Phillips, and they're, they're talking about their old relationship. But it's all kind of against this backdrop that Mannheim is not with us anymore like but we also we know nothing about this relationship all we know is they were supposed to meet at a cafe right. and a crummy cafe too I hate that cafe Whoa. Paris is an amazing freaking city they just make it look as Whoa. as bland <laughs> and and pastel and ridiculous as possible there's like no culture no passion there I mean it's just awful and they, they have those valley girls right. there then the goofy cliched waiter it it's it's just awful that end scene where she comes back to say yeah. a proper goodbye and then she's like wait a minute how do i get out of here just like the romance itself just yeah. falls flat there's nothing to it whatever patrick stewart stripped out of it by saying that he didn't want to do these scenes so you're you they play these scenes as if they might get back together but it's very weird because her husband is still on the ship very much alive struggling to stay alive and these two are reuniting somehow and and it, none of it works. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, the only thing you kind of come away with was that Picard is driven to go to Starfleet and doesn't want to get tied down. And and he's carrying around some regret about that, which is, you know, good acting on his part. But you don't feel like there's anything about her other than the way that she looks that should have made him stick with her. There's nothing to her. And look, I mean, here she is with her husband that she chose to be with. And, and, and you know, she should be at his bedside, you would think. While he's struggling to live, 
and she's hanging out with Picard in the holodeck and, and you know, reenacting some Paris romance that they might have had. The epitome of this, how lame this is, is the fact that Bev's like, I'm not even playing. I'm not playing. So Troy comes in and says, you know, let's talk about how you're feeling. And she's like, no, <laughs> I don't want to. There's nothing I can do here. It's a stupid situation. And what the right. hell am I supposed to do? It's played out so wonderfully, but the scene itself yeah. falls flat because it's like a thread that, again, leads nowhere. I know. It's just like a piece of something. You know, I'm always, I always feel weird about these Bev scenes because I can't, they can't decide whether these two are supposed to be attracted to each other and together. And so, like, in this episode, I'm like, do we care about this? And then all of a sudden, Troy comes in and makes a big deal about it. Like, you you must be having mixed feelings about this to Bev. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I wasn't even thinking about this. <laughs> like, if Patrick Stewart could say, I don't want to do this, then why the hell do I have to talk about it? <laughs> like, what? why does she have right. to own her emotions in this when Patrick Stewart didn't have to? I'm thinking about the fake tension, too, and how we've railed against some of the fake tension yeah. in the show. And here's an opportunity for some real tension, and they don't realize it. But what if they had done it like the battle, where there is no tension, but they just like ramp up the music <laughs> and the camera <laughs> angles to make it seem like there is? <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's it's like Picard is next to Janice or something, and it's like, are they going to kiss? Are they going to kiss? And the music's like, you know, then Worf comes in and says, Captain, you're needed on the bridge. And it's like, wah, wah. Or just something, you know? Very close shots of Bev putting together some serum to administer to Mannheim while he's having his, you know, his weird uh, reality split attacks or whatever's going on. Well, and where's our medical drama for last time? Our handheld yeah. medical drama, our, our ER starring yeah. Bev, you know? I mean, why can't Mannheim at least have some spasms or be freaking out or something? So there's some, like, medical drama. There's no drama. She does nothing except sort of stare at him until Data drops a cylinder in a bunch of mirrors <laughs> and suddenly everything's solved. Which is a That's good transition. The, yeah, nice transition. That's the end. Like it's as sudden as the is the time warp they're experiencing. Right. So Mannheim's experiments are creating what they call a hiccup, but it's this like kind of time rewind. As the episode progresses, you're starting to see the characters are looking at each other kind of backwards in time. I guess it's always backwards, right? Well, it's strange. Okay. And this is like every time you have like time travel problems in a show yeah. like this. It's a little annoying to me because I, I don't get it. And I know I'm not supposed to get it. I'm, I'm just supposed to go with it. But that turbo lift scene stopped me. And and again, hopefully this is why you're listening to the podcast is because you know we think like this. <laughs> but part of the problem to me was Picard, Riker, and Data entered the turbo lift. They're about to leave when the turbo lift door opens again and they see themselves about to get into right. the turbo lift. And so group one's like, whoa, look at that. It's us. And group two is like, whoa, look at that. It's us. Right. And then the turbo lift door closes and it opens again. And the first group right. is gone. But the second group does not play out the same situation, right? The second group doesn't go in, turn around and have another group show up. So I don't understand that at all. Are, did they just create a separate timeline? That's what happens. Where, where the fuck did we go, number one? I, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, to me. that's it's just this like... time loop stuff. The idea of two people in the same place on the same timeline. So if they show up, right, if they see themselves on their timeline in the future, right, they're still there. They're still moving along the timeline. They've created a split and you've got. Two Rikers, two Picards, two Datas, and everybody else in the universe all moving along the same timeline just ahead of you a little bit, right? How do you get rid of those people? What happens to them? Where do they go? But but how can the experience exist if the first group isn't there anymore? Then what is the second right. group reacting to? Well, they changed. To? But That's they're changing. The second group is changing because of what they saw in their future. So oh, my God. They are no longer the people they saw in the past. They've created another split in reality, and they're going off on their own timeline. There's like three timelines going on. Do you think there's a timeline where I don't have a headache? <laughs> That's the thing. Is there a timeline right now where I'm just like laying in bed going, wow, I'm glad I blew that discussion of time <laughs> off because it was a pain in my ass. And this was like the first episode where they play around with time. Later on, they do it really well. And it made me happy to see it because I know that way later it's going to happen. There's going to be more episodes where... They're playing around with this stuff, and it's done in a smarter way. It was enticing, but seeing it here, they're hiding behind the time travel stuff instead of like being on top of it and going like, yeah, we've got to figure it out. The thing about time travel is that you just have to figure out how it works in your world. Like You have to say, these are the rules. These work. Because nobody really, it's right, not a right, real thing. Right. Nobody really 
can make it happen. It's not going to happen. So you just have to believe it's consistent in your world. And in this show, they're fucking around with it. So it doesn't make any sense. So you have like a moment later on where Picard sends data down to resolve the time travel situation in the end, the the paradox that's going to happen. He has to send data because he's the only one that can outsmart the thinking of the time travel, which is funny because he's like, uh, they have to send in the robot who's way smarter than the writers because nobody can outsmart this thing other than this pretend, this fictional robot. And he sees two other versions of himself. Yes. And he has to decide which version is the actual version that exists in the timeline. And it happens not to be the one (laughs) that is the first version of data, like the one that we've been following. It happens to be the second version of data, which I I admit I thought was kind of cool, but it still makes no sense. No, it doesn't make any sense because they're all data, but they're not. And if, okay, I'm going to, I can't keep going with this because it just becomes silly. Well, I do have to say this. So if those are, are those three separate datas or the same data? I mean, they say data has a linear sense of time, which makes no sense. So does he see all the divergent timelines? Are those three different datas? Is there a data that doesn't throw the canister? I mean, what the hell happens? I don't know. All I know is you have three datas, and I just wanted to see an episode of three datas. That would have been good. Because it made me remember how much I've missed (laughs) data. I've missed data-centric episodes and like cool data shit. And I also have to say something else because we talked about uh, home soil before. Okay. This is another home soil moment because in home soil, one of the frustrating things is that we know data has dodged a bunch right. of lasers. So there was some cool action, but they didn't show it to us. Once again, Data's dodging a bunch of lasers. Only this time we actually get to see it. And that was That's fun. true. He does he does some rolls. A stunt man does some rolls. Yeah, I know. It's sorry, Brent. It's not Brent Spiner, you know, in his younger years, he wasn't doing a forward roll. He does outmaneuver lasers, which I, I do have to point out. I know this is very nerdy, but you, you just cannot outroll a laser. It just doesn't happen. A laser beam. What? Just, cause just it, because you're an android. Why not, Dave? <laughs> the one where he finally phasers the, the last yeah. laser is great to me because it's clearly the stuntman who rolls, does that forward roll behind the wall, and then suddenly Brent Spider right. pops out. And I love that. I mean, it it just really made me laugh out loud <laughs> yeah. because it's 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 convincing enough illusion if you're not really paying attention. But when you realize what had just happened, it's just funny to me. I don't I know. know why it is. I, I, excuse me, John. Let me walk around here and pretend like I did all that. What's funny <laughs> though is that is that if you really think about it, okay, you you can't outroll no matter how fast you are a laser beam. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're a super fast android, right? Really, data should just be standing there, like just stepping aside. Or not even doing anything. If you can outmaneuver a laser, you're not even standing in any <laughs> in the vicinity of the laser beam in the first place. There's no way to you just can't outmaneuver a laser beam. Sorry. Well, but it makes about as much sense as dropping a cylinder. And and again, this is another okay. This this episode is filled with with these kind of reprises sure. or just like stealing or whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to call a reprise to be kind. But this is to uh, me at least, you know, it's a Wrath of Khan moment because okay. the whole point when 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 Spock dies, when right. Spock dies, he dies because he's taking a cylinder and dropping it into a hole. And here's data taking a cylinder and dropping it into a hole. And somehow taking a cylinder and dropping it into a hole solves problems. I'm not really sure how, but it just does. Try not to make that uh R rated next time. I'm not trying to make it R-rated. That's you. That's your problem. Really? I mean, I, I see that comparison. I think that's interesting. How much of a callback do you think they were trying to do when they made that? Or just, I don't think, I don't even know if it was, it's just like laziness. They're like, how? You uh, think it's laziness? You think it's laziness? Because that whole fractured right. timeline plot is weaker right. than the quadrangle, romance quadrangle, because nothing really happens. You get some cool scenes like, oh, I see myself in the turbo lift and that kind of thing. And we're supposed to believe that this is like really dangerous, though it's never really clear why it's well, dangerous. It's going to destroy all of time like the, that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So Mannheim has done this experiment, which we never totally get. But he's torn a hole into time into another dimension. Right. How the hell do you even tear a hole into time? It's it's not like time's you know, a blanket. Well, it, it just depends. I mean, I don't know how I don't know what Mannheim was doing. Number one, bring me my time blanket. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Pour some Earl Grey into it, number one. Into my time blanket. I'm so cold. I'm feeling cozy, number one. Where are my time slippers? So he supposedly you know, made this problem, and the way they're going to solve it also makes no sense at all, because Data is going to take these canisters or this canister of antimatter and drop it into this hole into the other dimension, right? Yes. 
And so what is that doing? Is that destroying the other dimension? Is that like, is that destroying? Is that, is that it's, I mean, we know by the end of the episode, it somehow seals a hole, even if it's temporarily as, as we're told, but it, it, it seals things up. But what the hell, like if you drop antimatter into something, isn't that, doesn't that like destroy the matter that's in the place that you just dropped it into? What? All I know about matter antimatter interaction is from the Fantastic Four and the negative <laughs> zone. That the negative zone's an antimatter universe, and if matter comes into contact with it, it'll explode. That's Fantastic Four annual six, folks. Okay, you're getting all your physics from uh, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. It's very good. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. But that is all I know. Yeah, makes sense. What what gets me though is like again stuff that they leave on the table. Here you're having time hiccups. I want to know what's happening in other places uh-huh. because poor Riker has to do the research and I guess call other places. It's like, hello, anyone having a time right. hiccup? Hello, please get back to me. It's like they got a list serve or something. You know, anyone anyone that's experiencing a time hiccup? It's like the next door app for for right. space. But I would have loved to have seen, you know, almost like Family Guy type cutaways of different places having hiccup problems, like people running into <laughs> doors and, you know, like go right. back to go back to Skin of Evil and then like Armas instead of leaving all the bad parts of them, the race that creates Armas because Armas is supposed to be the distillated product of all right. the evil that- of this one race. Like what if they leave all the good right. and Armas is like Jigglypoo for like Kirby Hey guys, just sort of bouncing around bouncing around the planet like a big like marshmallow hey guys i'm the fun armis remember me yeah he's like a chipper little puddle of goo screw that other guy he's not yeah he's like he's like a big green blob of goo or if you would have like seen some klingons eating like cold gawk or something you know just something something weird like you know what is this we don't even we don't even like this gold at all yeah, that's like we're more into silver. Trek loves its alternate uh-huh. timelines. I mean, it just loves them. Mirror, mirror in the original, and then we're gonna have like a bunch of good ones. Yesterday's Enterprise, where Yar comes back. Yar comes back. My my favorite. Uh, par- well, just for one episode, but then she gives birth to her daughter Sela, who's a Romulan. It's it's really good. And then one of my favorites, parallels, where Worf ends up skipping through all these alternative timelines. And they're fun. I mean, they're real fun, but that's what's yeah. missing here is the yeah. fun. There's no real fun to the parallel timeline. We've seen a very little fun in this whole first season. I think when we've seen it, like in The Big Goodbye, which was really a fun episode. Even I would even say Data Lore is a fun episode. Oh, yeah, very it's, much. It's, and Haven. Haven's yeah. a fun episode. Yes, yes. You know what they should have done is when they opened up the turbo lift, it should have been Riker, Picard, and Data all with goatees. <laughs> you know what would have been funny if the if the holodeck opened up and it was uh, Michelle Phillips' daughter, China Phillips, instead. And, and, and she <laughs> if it was Wilson Phillips. Right, right. Yes, yes. So if just 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 for everybody that's not as dorky and old as we are, pop culture wise, Michelle Phillips ends up having a daughter named China Phillips, who ends up being in the band Wilson Phillips, which is now so old that nobody remembers anymore, probably anyways. They had a, a number of hits. So the door opens up, it's China Phillips, and she's singing uh, her famous uh, Hold On For One More Day song. There you go. I don't see why. Or, or or Carney Wilson doing her talk show. Whatever it is, I mean, there could have been a lot of fun. It, it opened it up, and it's it's Buck Rogers, uh, Wilma Deering, and Tweaky. I mean, that's bitty, the crossover bitty, bitty. we've been begging for. I don't know if we've ever overtly yes. said it, but that's the one we're really going for. Oh, I would that universe. I I would gladly step into the universe someday. Somebody's going to turn around and make you cry, Buck. Biddy, biddy. Can you do it? Bigga, bigga. Can you do it? Someday someone is going to make you turn around and say goodbye, Buck. Bigga, bigga, bigga. <laughs> Hold on for one <laughs> more day, bigga, bigga, bigga. Hold on for one more day, you beautiful robot. <laughs> bigga, bigga. Bigga, bigga. I want to say that we have put uh, uh, 10 times more energy into this episode than... Oh, my God. Than- Jeez, to geez, just think Michelle Phillips is probably sleeping right now. She's probably laying in bed going, oh, my God, thank God I don't have to think about the Star Trek show anymore. 
she's fast asleep and <laughs> and here we are up 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 talking about her still like 30 years later for god's sake well i gotta tell you we got a couple of uh doozies coming to to wrap things up to wrap up the season yeah and i gotta i gotta tell you listeners we're very excited about about the end here because first of all next time is conspiracy which is a very singular right. episode it's like no other episode in the first season then after that is the neutral zone, which returns my beloved Romulans. Yes, finally, they finally show up after hinting. Now about the gene's gone. The Romulans can show up. But I'm so excited that we're actually oh. even wrap, wrapping up the uh, the first season. We're coasting now. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, we so we've got the we've got two more episodes, and then we've got what we're very excited to share with everybody. We've got a wrap up episode that we're going to do where we're going to go through the greatest hits. And the greatest flops of the season. The hits and misses. <laughs> and then, and then there's two extra special specials. I don't even want to, I don't even want to ruin it. Don't get too excited. So Dave, what do you, what do you, what do you say we uh, uh, wrap it up and uh, go out to uh, Cafe der Artistes? Things will go your way. Just hold on for one more day. I don't know that I can hold on anymore. Hold on for one more day. This is all the holding I want to do of this particular mm. episode. Listeners, you have been enjoying another episode of your new favorite podcast, SDTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Not another one. Oh, the, the podcast that isn't afraid to just keep going long after everyone stopped listening. <laughs> so next time, uh, join us for, for some conspiracy. I'll be here. And... Uh, will you? Uh, I think so. I am uh, the delightful Admiral Andrew. And I'm Commander Dave E. Dave. And we'll see you next time. Au revoir from Paris. Let's go mind the store. Say goodbye to Michelle Phillips, Paris, and all those Mannheims. And hey, say hello to episode 24, Conspiracy. Oh, she's so badass. She is just cold. Like, cool, I am taking you down. On the penultimate episode of season one, things are about to get freaky. And you're like, oh, here Worf goes. We're going to take a break. And when he comes back, he's going to kick some ass. I mean it. This episode really goes off the rails. Data would have jacked this dude up. There's action. Even the goddamn doctor is shooting something on this. There's intrigue. Relish in your new body. Relish, relish in it. (laughs) There's guts. Where's the beef? And just like the title so succinctly says, things are conspiring against Jean-Luc. Yes. The Federation. Keep it moistened, number one. And the whole goddamn galaxy. Riker has, he's like, it's Captain's business. I'm not going to even ask. Join us for episode 24 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Everybody in the future either has an excellent name or they just have regular names.